The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are going to be doing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Chapter 2, The Scar. In the last chapter, we ended with Harry waking up as Voldemort killed Frank Bryce. So Harry bolts awake from this so-called nightmare that he just had and his scar is burning and it hurts this is a theme that happens to harry throughout the rest of the series harry's scar hurts whenever voldemort his major perpetrator is somehow connected to him voldemort was the one who gave him the scar and killed harry's parents we know that trauma has its triggers sounds, smells, sights, watching certain situations on shows or movies Almost anything can trigger a trauma response. Can you discuss Harry's scar and how those who have gone through trauma can be triggered in the same manner? Absolutely. A horrific traumatic event can leave a visible scar, like in Harry's case, or oftentimes an invisible scar that only the victim, the survivor of a horrendous experience like this can feel. And so when we're in some ways reminded of a traumatic experience, even if we don't realize we're being reminded of it, our body goes into that fight, flight, or freeze mode in order to keep us safe. And we might not even sometimes know why we feel the way that we do. Sometimes when we see somebody who, let's say, reminds us of our trauma, when we see someone that looks like our perpetrator, or we see the perpetrator, or we see an event or smell something or taste something or hear something that reminds us of our trauma, it makes sense that we would feel overwhelmed, on edge, and sometimes in pain. But in other cases, we might not realize why we feel the way that we do. Sometimes it's subconscious. In Harry's case, his trauma occurred when he was pre-verbal. So he was just a little over one. He didn't really speak very much at this point. He does not cognitively remember what happened to him or what Voldemort looks like. But because of the trauma happening when it did, his body still reacts in a way that the body remembers what happened. There's a brilliant book by a leading trauma expert, Bessel van der Kolk, called The Body Keeps the Score. 
And in this book, we learn that even if we're not consciously aware of being triggered and overwhelmed, our body might be. And so in some instances, it means tension. In some instances, it means a stomach ache. In a lot of instances, it can be migraines. And so not all migraines are a result of trauma, but some are. And in Harry's case, a lot of his migraine-like headaches, right, that are severe pain on one side of the head and flashes of light, sometimes to the point of him passing out or nearly passing out, being unable to perceive other things around him. That's very similar to what a trauma migraine looks like. Harry's nightmares in a lot of ways are his connection to his trauma. We know that his dreams are showing him what's actually happening. And I think that he's so connected to his perpetrator that he's able to see what's happening. And although we know that the scar is a part of it, but I also think just the effect that the trauma had on Harry himself is a big part of it, too. You were just mentioning that Harry dreamt what was really happening. He is so connected and his dreams were the actual events that happened in chapter one. He saw it all as though he was there. This really got me thinking about the nature of dreaming and how we have no actual control of the theater of our subconscious. Dreams can elicit uh, an array of emotions like fear, love, sadness, happiness, anger, and on and on. What are your thoughts on dreams and the power that they have? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, dreams in a lot of ways can be a way that we consolidate information that we are learning or things that we're thinking about. But a lot of times they're also a depiction of the emotions that we're going through. For example, if we're having a really stressful day and we're maybe on tight deadlines, we're more likely to have stressful dreams that might not appear on surface to have anything to do with what's going on. So for example, as an adult with many deadlines, we might have a dream that we're running late to school, having been out of school for many years. But a lot of times dreams like that might be a representation of feeling like we're running behind, right? The Just the, the representation of that emotion of not having enough time to do certain things. In some instances, we might have dreams that might sort of let us know a part of the future. And, and some people are able to communicate with people that have passed away. And some people are able to think about certain parts of their traumatic experience and actually change the way those scenes are presented in their dreams. For instance, for people who have a certain recurring nightmare, there is something that we can do to help that. And this process is called dream rehearsal. So this is where we would write out the dream as it appears and then add an ending that is either silly or somehow empowering or non-threatening. For example, if somebody has a recurring nightmare that somebody's chasing them with a knife, they would write out the details of that dream as clearly as they can in as many sensory details as they can. And then they would add some kind of an ending that is non-threatening. For example, the ending might be, and then I turn around and I realize that all of it is a prank that my friends are playing on me, or I realize that I'm actually a part of a movie and all of it is, you know, just kind of a silly comedy or horror movie that I'm a part of. When people are having recurring nightmares about an attack that they went through, for example, an ending that they might be able to add is 
them standing up to their perpetrator or fighting back somehow or watching that perpetrator receive justice. And what we do with that is we read it out loud every night before we go to sleep for two weeks. This process, the dream rehearsals, has been shown to be tremendously helpful for people with trauma who are having recurrent dreams. Dreams have many causes. They have many different messages, many different meanings. And so I think that there are experts out there who are far more trained than I am at dream interpretation. That's not my specialty. But I think that dreams can serve a really powerful purpose, sometimes at exploring what's going on in our life, sometimes at helping us prepare for the future. And if we take some time to to think about what it means, it can be, in some instances, really helpful. Dreams are so fascinating. I had a horrible dream once, probably the worst dream I've ever had. And besides the fact that it just was horrible, it also makes me feel a little guilty to recall it. I don't like it. I refuse to recall it. Even the slightest little image or memory of this dream starts to develop and I immediately switch gears. I won't even, you know, try to <laughs> look at it. I mean, dreams are so powerful. Why do you think dreams have such a lasting effect on us? I know the dream that you're referring to. I'm not going to say it out loud here, but I think a lot of times dreams are a representation of what we really care about. And so sometimes a nightmare might play out either in a dream or sometimes in a daydream. And people might be horrified about that particular image. But a lot of times the things we fear the most are the things that we care about the most. Right. And so, for example, if we dream about losing a loved one, it's because we might be scared of losing that loved one. If we have a nightmare about losing our job or losing our home or losing our pet, it's because we might be frightened of that happening. And so I think that a lot of times we might think that it makes us a bad person to imagine something or to dream it, but all it implies is that we love something or someone. It, it just means that we care. I remember a dream that I had when I was a little child. I was, you know, maybe about 10 or 11 years old. I dreamt that I was on a bus and the bus was somehow driving right on the shore of a sea. And in the middle of the sea, there was a lion, a beautiful, powerful lion that was drowning. And nobody would stop and help this lion, right? We were on the bus. The bus wouldn't stop. I kept on wondering why nobody's rushing in to help that lion and the lion ended up drowning. And to this day, I still remember this dream and I was so saddened by it that nobody would help. And this powerful, powerful lion ended up not being able to survive. When I talked to a dream interpreter, upon series of questions that she asked me, what we ended up realizing is that this dream happened shortly after my grandfather died. My grandfather was a Holocaust survivor and my biggest hero, and he had a stroke and nobody could help him. He was this powerful lion of a man. Mm. He was just such a powerful, wonderful, compassionate human being. And when he was drowning, nobody could help. And I think that feeling of helplessness really represented itself in a dream. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes dreams are literal, but sometimes they're not. Oftentimes they're not. Sometimes we might be able to make sense of them. Sometimes we might not be able to. 
But I think the important thing to remember, just because we dream something or think something doesn't mean that we are a certain kind of person. Right. And to keep on that little subject right there, it's also interesting when other people, most likely significant others, get upset at the dreams you might have. Why do you think some people get jealous about a dream someone might have had? I'm just thinking of Phoebe from Friends, who had a dream about somebody she had a crush on, actually, Monica and Ross's dad, (laughs) having an affair with someone else. And I remember Rachel saying, oh, my gosh, he dream cheated on you. (laughs) I think that people get upset because they might have their own trauma history around attachment and infidelity. And when people are terrified of losing their significant other because of their own trauma history, they might take their significant other's dream as some kind of a message that their significant other wants to have an affair or is going to abandon them, but it doesn't mean anything. But I think the understanding of where that person's fear comes from can allow that person to have an easier time healing and maybe even communicating that with their partner as in, hey, you know, I'm feeling insecure, I'm feeling frightened. And as vulnerable and scary as it might be, that's how we're most likely to receive help and understanding when we reach out from a place of vulnerability as opposed to from a place of anger. Hmm. You briefly mentioned that some people can dream the future. And while we're on the subject of dreams, I was wondering, what do you think about the possibility of like mediums and psychics who have the ability to remote view and see things sometimes with a great deal of accuracy? I realize that there are probably a lot of people that are going to disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. Given my personal and professional experiences, I believe that there are people that are capable of not just sensing, but in some cases seeing the future. There are some people that are more sensitive than others. Again, there are certain things I've seen that cannot be explained otherwise. I'm just going to share one small example, and that is that when my grandmother was in the hospital, she came to me in the dream. And she said, I want you and the entire family to come visit me because, well, basically in three days, I won't be here anymore. And then she said to me in a dream, your brother won't make it to come see me. And I called my entire family and I called my brother and I said, hey, we all need to go see grandma. And my brother couldn't go see grandma because at that time his wife's family member was also dying and unfortunately he was in a difficult situation where he really struggled to be there for everyone and he ended up supporting his wife completely understandably when her own brother was on his deathbed. So all of us went to see grandma and he did not and three days later she passed away. And in my culture, I'm Ukrainian Jewish We do believe that our ancestors can come to us in dreams and give us either instructions or support. When I was a small child, my other grandmother came to me in a dream and said that we all need to come see her immediately. She had been dead for a year at that point when I had that dream. I was about seven years old. So I told my entire family and we all went to see her in the cemetery. And when we came to see her, we found that her tombstone had cracked. It might have been a storm. It might have been something else. I don't know. But she instructed us to go see her as soon as possible. And thankfully, we caught 
the crack in the tombstone very quickly and were able to request for it to be fixed because had it gone on for a long time, then the damage might have been much worse. That is so interesting. Dreams are so fascinating. So let's get back to the chapter. Um, Harry is really struggling with who he can tell about this dream and the pain that he is feeling with his scar. The Dursleys, Hermione, Dumbledore, Ron, the Weasleys, he feels as though he can't talk to any one of them. I imagine there are a lot of people out there who are struggling and have problems and feel like they can't tell anyone about it. How can we let people like Harry know that their feelings are valid and their struggles are important? First of all, I just want to put it out there that even if people in your life don't believe you, don't validate you, or are telling you not to feel how you feel, your feelings are valid. You're allowed to feel the way that you do. You're allowed to feel frustrated, scared, anxious, angry, anything that you're feeling, you're allowed. Oftentimes it means there's some kind of unprocessed event that's there that maybe there's a part of us, a small child that's a part of us that needs to be heard, that needs to be loved and validated. And I find that sometimes if people around us in our immediate circle are not able to listen, there might be others who will, whether it's, for example, a mental health professional who is going to keep your information confidential that you can have a, a private session with. And similarly, you can also search for groups online or maybe posts online where people list similar experiences. And in sharing with one another in that way, you might be able to find support for what you're feeling, for what you're going through. Are there people and organizations out there that will listen to people 24-7? Yes, absolutely. So if, for example, you are living in the United States and you're having a crisis, if you just need someone to talk to and maybe it's late at night and you don't know anyone that you can talk to immediately, you can text the United States crisis text line 741741. Some people think that to be in crisis means that you're having suicidal thoughts. And although that is one type of a crisis that you can use this line for, it doesn't have to be. If you're having a panic attack, if you've gotten into a fight with your significant other or family member, if you feel triggered, overwhelmed, or not heard or not loved, you can text this number at any time. It's completely free and confidential. Many other countries have different crisis line numbers as well. Most are free and confidential too. I highly encourage you wherever you live to see if there is some kind of mental health support network or crisis text line that you can look up and save in your phone or on a piece of paper somewhere where you have it available to you at all times so that if you're in crisis, you can reach out to that individual or organization. That's beautiful, and it's so wonderful to have those things out there for people. And Harry decides to reach out. He ends up writing a letter to his godfather, Sirius, and he tells him what's been going on. The letter doesn't quite explain everything, but he reaches out to someone nonetheless. It's pretty exceptional, too, because the two of them basically just met, and Harry has this immediate 
trust for Sirius. I think that's wonderful. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I think they both need each other. And in some ways, they're trauma bonding, which means they're both experiencing a traumatic event. And in a lot of ways, by their connection with one another, they're they're seeing something that they need in that moment. So for Harry, he needs a parent. He didn't have parents. He grew up without parents from the age of one. Dursleys were incredibly abusive to him. And he hadn't found a parental figure until now. And Sirius is his godfather. And so he's finding a father-like figure in him. And for Sirius, he's still missing James and Lily. And so in some ways, Harry is almost like a replacement for James, a stand-in, but also by being almost like a son to Sirius. Both of them very quickly grow to be fond of each other. People who form some kind of a relationship, including a father-son-like relationship, like in this case, in a trauma, tend to grow to trust each other quicker than people in safe or neutral circumstances Sometimes it's a great thing. Sometimes it can be quite unhealthy. In this case, Harry's and Sirius relationship seems to be a fairly healthy one, which is great. They're able to love and support one another and to really help each other process the losses that they're going through. I really love their relationship. I think it's great that they have one another. And that's pretty much where the chapter ends. Harry sends off the letter and... That wraps up the chapter and that wraps up this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind, stay magical, and take care. <laughs> <laughs>